0: Welcome to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. I'm your host, Sam Abbott, registered dietitian nutritionist and PCOS nutrition expert. I'm here to help you learn how to manage PCOS and support your hormones while also having a healthy relationship with food in your body. You can improve PCOS symptoms and labs without dieting. Get ready to feel better with PCOS and leave diet culture in the rearview mirror. Hi, William. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to chat with you.
1: Sam, thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to be with you.
0: Well, let's jump in. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how PCOS Challenge was created.
1: Sure. Sure. Again, my name is William R. Patterson. I'm Director of Public Affairs with PCOS Challenge, the National Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Association. I was one of the founding board members of the organization, and it's been a really just an incredible journey. I didn't necessarily see myself working in women's health. I I came out of the business and finance world and Sasha Ati, who's the founder and executive director of the organization, and now my wife, she had reached out to me when I was working in business and she said, hey, if you could help start the Next American Diabetes Association or Next American Cancer Society, would you do it? And I said, of course. And we went to work on building a PCOS challenge after her own diagnosis with PCOS.
0: Wow. And so tell us a little bit about what PCOS Challenge does? What are some important advocacy events that go on throughout the year that listeners may want to know about?
1: Sure. Well, PCOS Challenge, the National Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Association, we have six major program areas. The first is awareness. We host the largest awareness campaigns for PCOS globally. We got PCOS Awareness Month as a federally designated event through lobbying efforts through the U.S. Congress We also started World PCOS Day, where we work with a number of our peer organizations around the world on global awareness and advocacy efforts. We do support and empowerment. We have an online support and empowerment network at PCOSchallenge.com, and we're also developing a live virtual peer support and empowerment program as an evidence-based intervention to improve quality of life in PCOS patients. We host the largest educational events for PCOS, so another area for us is education, and since 2013, where we've been hosting the PCOS Awareness Symposium, we've educated thousands of patients and healthcare professionals about the disorder. We also lead the legislative advocacy and health policy development efforts around PCOS at both the federal and the state level. And one of our, our big events is PCOS Advocacy Day, which we do every year in March. We also focus on access to care. And with regard to our access to care efforts, what we do is we offer grants to help people with things like hair and skin issues that are associated with PCOS, as well as fertility treatments. So a lot of those things that aren't covered by insurance, PCOS Challenge offers grants to assist with. And lastly, we also focus on research. So we work with various institutes at the NIH. To identify gaps in research, to increase funding for research, as well as to recruit for studies. We work with organizations or agencies like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on things like hormone testing standardization. And we also work with the FDA on doing patient focused drug development so that patient experiences and needs are meaningfully incorporated into drug development, especially because in nearly 90 years, there have been no FDA approved treatments specific to PCOS. And lastly, on the research side, we also focus on including patient voices in research. So we recently started the PCOS Challenge Study, which is a patient-powered registry to focus on answering the important questions that patients care about when it comes to PCOS.
0: So, you basically said PCOS care is not where we needed to be all the way around and no one is working on this or trying to move this needle forward, so we're going to do it ourselves. Well,
1: I, w- I won't say no one, but, <laughs> but I, will, I will say, historically, there's really been a siloed approach to PCOS just across the board, whether it was research, it was care, and you had a lot of the, the medical and scientific community, as, as we saw it, were trying to solve a problem with half, or trying to solve a puzzle with half of the pieces off the board, and those pieces were patients, and patients mm. were not being meaningfully incorporated into research, so there was a misalignment of government research priorities, some of the research priorities of clinical investigators, they they weren't really focused on answering a lot of the questions that patients cared about. And similarly, a lot of the issues that, let's say researchers were facing with underfunding of research, they weren't including patients in advocacy efforts to help drive funding for their own research. So again, the, the patients are a really critical part of closing a lot of these gaps in care and also expanding access to care and increasing funding for research. So broadly, how we think of PCOS Challenge, our job is to remove these these barriers to a cure for the disorder. So whether it's for research, whether it's patients, again, being able to access treatment and understanding option, better options for self-management, these are all things that we really focus on in terms of empowerment for patients.
0: Yeah, that's such an important point because that's what it's all about, right? Patient care and trying to improve the patient experience and have better patient health outcomes. And I think that you definitely embody that. Like I know when I'm in virtual meetings that are related to PCOS and there seems to be a very medical conversation going on, somebody from PCOS Challenge always enters the chat and leaves a thoughtful comment from a patient perspective. And it does bring everybody back to really the point of why efforts and research exist to improve patient care and outcomes. So thank you so much for sharing that. You mentioned all of the amazing things that you all do. For anybody listening, they're probably really interested in some of the things that you all have been able to accomplish through advocacy work? You know, every year when we go to Congress and ask Congress for different things, like what are some things that you've seen that you all have really been able to accomplish through all of your efforts so far?
1: Well, I think it's important to understand some of the historical context around why advocacy is needed and and definitely was needed when we first started. So to be clear, th- back in 1935, PCOS was was then named Stein-Leventhal syndrome. So since 1935 up until we started doing legislative advocacy in 2017, there was no significant mention of PCOS in the federal government. There were only five footnote mentions of PCOS in legislation, which pretty much said PCOS can cause diabetes. But there were no legislators that were focused on PCOS. There there were no significant policy efforts to focus on addressing these gaps in care. And because of that, it really impacted how patients were counseled about the, the disorder. It impacted the kind of care that they received. And we decided in 2017 that we were going to raise the the consciousness of members of Congress around PCOS and to advocate for more funding for research. And again, things that would accelerate the development of new treatments, as well as close these these gaps in, in care. And that meant both access to care and also quality of care. So What we did is we held the first legislative briefing on PCOS. And from there, that also led to PCOS Advocacy Day and introducing the PCOS Awareness Month resolution in the U.S. Congress. And that was important because it allowed us to start to raise awareness among legislators and to also to build a base of support so that we could start to advance legislation and since that over i'd say past the past 5 to 6 years we have got moved from that those five little footnote mentions mm-hmm. to now close to 35 bills and resolutions that are mentioning PCOS we have over 140 legislators who are now on record as recognizing the seriousness of the disorder as well as the need for new treatment options more research we got the NIH To hold a workshop, and this was the first workshop in nearly a decade, and also the first workshop to include patients. So this was a really important part is to make sure that patients had an opportunity to share their stories with legislators and to help drive change and to take a lot of the things that perhaps they weren't able to change health wise that were going on with them, but this was something that they could change, and by something which might seem small, but is incredibly powerful. And that's being able to share your story and to advocate for typically the tens of thousands of people in your district or hundreds of thousands in your state, perhaps millions in very large states for for people who really just hadn't had the chance to to share their story and to make a difference in that way.
0: Mm, Yeah. So again, really centering patience in your efforts. You mentioned bills and resolutions and... Medication treatment options. Can you give us some specific examples of things that have really been pushed through because of PCOS challenge and PCOS advocacy?
1: Sure. Well, again, as we mentioned, we started with the, the resolution. So going from people who had never heard in terms of legislators who had never heard of PCOS to now having bipartisan support. And again, one of the most divided times in the history, <laughs> yeah. having having bipartisan support for PCOS. We were able to get the Again, the NIH workshop, so this was the first workshop in nearly a decade, and it was looking at the cardiovascular risk of PCOS patients across the lifespan. Why this is important is because historically there had been one institute at the National Institutes of Health, which had funded about 70% of PCOS research, and that research was largely focused on reproduction. So what happened is it created a skew in the medical literature that largely focused on reproduction, which is why mm-hmm. just about every research paper you read on PCOS starts out by talking about women of reproductive age, but it didn't cover endometrial cancer, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It wasn't getting into the cardiovascular risk, long-term health risks, environmental factors that, qu- that patients were asking about. So getting more institutes interested in PCOS and also to get a full picture of the scope of the impacts of the disorder. Other things that we were able to do, there's something that's called the RCDC, the Research Condition and Disease Categories Reporting, and that's where they track the funding levels of major health conditions. And we saw all these other major health conditions, uterine fibroids, endometriosis, autism, but there was no PCOS. So despite Mm. PCOS being one of the most common human disorders and the most common endocrine disorder in women, it was not in the NIH's reporting. So it was so underfunded that it wasn't even a line item in the reporting. So because of the advocacy efforts of patients, we got that in. And one of the things we're most excited about is something that's going to be happening a little later on this year in November. We're going to be holding an externally led patient-focused drug development meeting. So this is the first time, yes, yes, the first time in nearly a century that there will be meaningful, that perspectives, needs, and priorities for the development of new treatments will be meaningfully incorporated into drug development. So this is a huge, huge win, and it's a direct result of the, the advocacy efforts of you know people like you, Sam, who, who come out and lead these efforts from a, a regional leader perspective, but also the, the patients and the providers and the researchers telling their stories and advocating for change.
0: Wow. I got chills even just hearing all of that. And I asked for some specifics because I want people to really know the impact that PCOS challenge and advocacy work are really making. And it's mind blowing to think about PCOS affects so many people and there's not even an FDA approved drug. It's just mind blowing to me. And I'm so grateful for everything that your organization does to really try to change things like that.
1: Well, thank you. And Sam, you know, we're grateful to, to you. It's really the healthcare professionals on the ground who are doing the work day in and day out and are filling those gaps for a lot of patients and providing those answers. So, you know, it definitely goes both ways. And we want to connect people. You know, that's one of the things that we do at PCOS Challenge is we want to connect people with the resources that can help them. And we know nutrition is one of, if probably the most sought after bit bit of information with regard to management around the condition. And you often hear this push in the medical community. And this is another thing that where you start to see the skew in the literature that impacts how patients feel, it impacts their desire to seek care. And that is, there's a push in the medical literature toward weight loss. For some people, you know, again, they they may want to lose weight, and that's certainly fine. But for others, this this real push on weight loss without actual tools, without actual focus on health, what it does, as you know, really perpetuates eating disorders in a lot of people, or exacerbates eating mm-hmm. in, in a lot of situations. And for some people, it makes them not want to seek care because. Yeah. They say all my doctor's going to tell me is to lose weight. They don't have any answers for me. So again, we're just, we're just grateful to, to people like you who are, are doing this work on the ground, and they're not that many of you <laughs> that are they're providing you know I great knows. great information either. So you know it it really does mean a lot to be able to connect with those who are making a difference for for patients.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of really good points. I mean, there is actually research about. Medical weight bias that shows that when that exists, which that's rampant in the PCOS space, that people tend to avoid medical care. They have worse health outcomes. It leads to distrust in their providers. So I definitely think it's important to expand the conversation beyond weight. And I I have been so grateful that I'm seeing that more in the research space and some of the bigger meetings that I'm attending and. Speaking of research, it's very interesting. Even research is very, there's a lot of weight bias in research. I mean, sometimes I'll be digging for things and people aren't even looking at what health outcomes could occur independent of weight, even though we see it in practice all the time. You know, I see people lose weight and sometimes their symptoms get worse because what they're doing is putting stress on their body and seeing people really improve their labs or the way they're feeling or their sleep quality and their weight stays the same. And when the conversation is is all about weight with their doctor, they feel very confused. And and yeah, it leads to a lot of anxiety and distrust. So I definitely appreciate PCOS Challenge also wanting to kind of expand that conversation too.
1: You're absolutely right. And and we really work to expand a lot of the conversations around the condition and to provide all of those a voice who have diverse lived experiences. So what we wanna do is to empower people to manage the condition in their own way. We do encourage shared decision-making with healthcare professionals, but we also want you to be able to incorporate your, your values and priorities in your care. And we don't want you to feel bullied or that there's only one answer for you to be able to effectively manage the condition. And we want to empower you to you know, push back and to advocate for yourself when, when appropriate. And again, just feel empowered to do so, to be able, we also work on patient provider communication guides so that you can know how to advocate for yourself. Particularly when you may have a provider that says one, they have a may have a limited toolkit, and all they have for you is hormonal contraception, contraception, metformin, and lose weight. And once they mm. exhaust that toolkit, then they don't they don't have much for you. So being able to get to a path of of care that you feel good about, and that makes you feel good about yourself, those are things that we want to empower patients to to feel and to have. Mm. I really love that.
0: That's so powerful. Well, let's chat about the big day. It's coming up PCOS Advocacy Day this year. What is PCOS Advocacy Day? What's the day like? Let's chat all about it.
1: Well, PCOS Advocacy Day, thank you for asking about that, is is really one of the most powerful and transformative experiences for both patients, researchers, and providers. Many people will say it is just an incredible experience. Since COVID and other things, we've had to turn it into a virtual event, But it initially started as we were on the Hill. So we would go to Capitol Hill. (laughs) We would meet with legislators. And that's an incredible experience in and of itself. So when we do return to the Hill, you definitely want to try to make it there for that. But the Virtual Advocacy Day is going to be Thursday, March 2nd. It's a full day event. So you do want to block your calendar for the full day. And we schedule meetings with your members of Congress. So we're going to schedule a meeting with your U.S. representative and your two senators' offices for, for some people you're you're lucky enough to actually get your representative to to appear in that in that meeting and listen to you. But just staffers, these are the people who make decisions around policy. They want to hear from you. And I know for a lot of let's say first time advocates you might be intimidated like this is the first time I've told my story. <laughs> I, I've even told my story to members of my family, much less telling it to a stranger. But these are people who want to hear your story and they want to help you and they're they're excited to, to listen to you and to learn more about your story and how they can help. But we schedule these meetings with your, your representatives' offices and senators' offices. It's an opportunity for you to advocate for increased funding for research, increased education. One of the things that we will likely be advocating around, there's a, for instance, a piece of legislation called the Know Your Body Act, where It is promoting education in elementary school and the high school around PCOS, endometriosis, and fibroids. So just kind of thinking to yourself and say, wow, what would it have been like if I actually knew and could have understood some of the things that were going on with my body back at, at that point? We're also going to be advocating for increased funding for treatments. We're going to be advocating for increased funding for research and expanding what's known as the Bipartisan Congressional PCOS Caucus. So we've worked with legislators to form a group of them to focus on advancing policy and legislation to improve the lives of people with PCOS. So these are all huge things. And I want people to understand that people care, and definitely PCOS Challenge, we care, but there are a lot of people that care about you. There are a lot of people that want you to get better. And they just need to hear your story. So please join us on Thursday, March 2nd for Advocacy Day. Share your story. It will change you, but it will also make a difference for really millions of women and and people across the the country who are affected by PCOS.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you when, when you're in there speaking to the Congress members or their staffers. Of course, they they tend to know us <laughs> now, but also they usually say they know someone who has PCOS. So there's that personal connection too. So for people who may not be familiar with the actual day, I know it sounds intimidating to like go talk to Congress members, but you all organize the asks in a it's in a very organized way and as a Person with PCOS, your job is more just to show up and just share your story a little bit with the Congress members.
1: Sure, well, I'm sure a lot of people have different ideas of what they think Congress is like. They might watch CSPAN or or watch their their favorite news channel and they and they see these congressional meetings and they're like, wow, is, is it like that? Well, you know these these are more intimate meetings with with members of Congress and staff, and we have some specific legislative asks, but again, the big thing that you're largely focused on is telling your story. We have other people that'll be in the meeting to help you and assist you that will go over all of the technical stuff. But again, it's really just about sharing your story. So what we do is we provide you with a regional leader who will train you on how to effectively tell your story. They will also educate you on the specific things that we ask for each year. And again, they support you, and you're going to have other people from your state or perhaps your congressional district that'll also join you for meetings, and you'll also support them in in their meetings. And it's really empowering as you hear other people's stories, and you say, you know, wow, I thought it was just me. I thought mm-hmm. I was the only one that that was experiencing this, but when you see hundreds of advocates from all over the country with similar stories, uniting for a common cause. When you see the healthcare professionals like Sam, when you see researchers all coming together to create change, it's a really powerful, powerful moment. It's an unforgettable experience.
0: It is. I completely agree. And I think being a professional working in the PCOS space and we're always having to advocate for our clients, always having to sit in this place where someone may not be getting the care that they need. It's really hard and it's even harder to actually have PCOS. But I think an event like this, it feels very healing. It's so motivating. It's fun It's empowering when you see the things that you ask for actually come to fruition. So it's just a really powerful day. And so the time commitment is like the full day. Sometimes meetings are a little unexpected or something may pop up last minute or there might be a change. So you kind of have to be, quote unquote, on call during the day. Is there anything else you think people should know about the logistics of the day?
1: Well, again, we we start out with the morning briefing, and we also have some of our celebrity advocates and members of Congress who will typically start you out, and and they'll inspire you and empower you, and you're going to be like, okay, I'm ready. I'm a little nervous, but I'm ready. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll go into that first meeting. After that first meeting, you're going to say, wow, that, that that was that was that was cool. Yeah. And And by the end of the day, you're going to feel like a pro, and you're going to say, I'm I'm ready to do even more. And fortunately this year, we are gonna be expanding our state legislative advocacy outreach as well. So if you wanna do more locally after the federal advocacy day, you're inspired and you wanna do more locally in your state, we're gonna have some opportunities for you to really do that and to drive change. But again, just coming back logistically, you're going to have an amazing regional manager, a regional leader who's going to work with you and train you and support you in your meetings. You're going to have generally the the offices are incredibly supportive. Every now and then you have you know one you know <laughs> an office that's in a different you know kind of mindset, but for the most part, they really want to hear from you.
0: Yeah. And
1: I'll, I'll just say this: you need to tell your story because Congress doesn't go looking for problems to solve. So if you don't show up and let them know that there's something that they could do something about and that you need their help. They're going to move on to other issues and problems and they're going to think it's not that serious, but you know, it is, you know, the impact on your life, you know, what could have made a difference for you. And that's what we want to empower you to be able to, to, to do and to share and, and to heal in that way too.
0: Mm. Yeah, and those meetings are really powerful, and there are usually tears or people agreeing, and even the staffers, even the young staffers, hearing about somebody's heavy period that ruined their life when they were a teenager. I mean, they're they're so sympathetic, and they really do want to hear from their constituents. And things they don't
1: they don't know, and yeah. and I also say you may have people why it's important to educate them as well. So let's say you have a legislator who wants to ban, let's say, hormonal contraception, you know, because of, you know, they think it's tied to some other issue (laughs) and it's not, but then you let them know, I actually need hormonal contraception to regulate my, regulate my cycle or to, or, you know, regulate my, my hormones. And they're like, oh, You need it for a medical reason that's not this. And they say, so I've been denying access to care that you need and thousands of other people or tens of thousands of other people in my district or my state need. So a lot of times you're educating them because they don't know. And if you don't, a lot of times they're going to implement bad policies Mm -hmm. that are going to impact your care. So they need you to say, this is why this matters, or that I couldn't get access to care. I couldn't find an endocrinologist. I had to drive four hours to find an endocrinologist and it's exhausting. So they need to know so that they can support you with policies that will make a difference in your life and that of of hundreds of thousands of other people.
0: I really appreciate you saying that and bringing that up. I, I remember last year in one of our sessions, you know, I'm was more representing the South. So sometimes oral contraceptives can be somewhat of a hot topic. And I remember one of the staffers said, oh, well, Senator so-and-so hates birth control. He thinks they just pass it out all willy-nilly. And we were able to kind of share some of our experiences of why it was important. And I, until I got involved in advocacy, I did not realize the connection between congress and legislation and pcos care i mean if you go to the doctor and you have a bad experience or you don't have a lot of medication options i don't think people's mind goes to congress that was really surprising to me
1: you're absolutely right and again just to connect the loop for people so congress funds the it funds government agencies like the national institutes of health which are made up of multiple institutes. So those institutes do the research and they produce, at least the researchers who get funded by the NIH, they will produce medical literature that doctors use to treat and counsel patients. So if you are not there to say, please spend our taxpayer dollars to look at this thing that impacts me, they're going to spend it on other priorities and other research areas. Now, the other thing to understand about medical research is that it's considered discretionary. It's not mandatory funding. So they can determine what levels, what funding level, high or low, a particular condition or area gets. So if you don't show up to say this is a priority, they will assume that it is not, and they will go fund other things. So, again... The Congress dictates what the NIH and government agencies like the CDC, FDA, what they do or don't do, and mm-hmm. then that impacts how providers will treat you, because you may notice that you, you're asking about something for your doctor, your doctor will say, well, there's just not enough evidence on that for me to recommend mm-hmm. this. Or yes. we, don't, we, <laughs> we don't really know, you know, can't really give you any guidance on, you know, the things that you're asking about because there's just not enough research. And you said, but I, but I read this article and I want to try the, you know, like I I can't recommend that. Well, what about this test? Uh, You know, just all of those things come back to a patient like you sharing their story, which gets Congress to say, we're going to do something about this and we're going to write a letter to this government agency, or we're going to build in, this funding request for this government agency so that we can fix it. And that happens because someone like you was just amazingly brave and was willing to tell their story and help drive
0: change in that way. That was an amazing explanation. Thank you for for bringing up that loose end in that conversation. And I drive my husband up a wall in election time or we're sitting at the polls with like the list of candidates and I'm like, they don't support PCOS legislation or like we have to vote for this person because she like really was really supportive in our meeting and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how everything connects.
1: Well, let me just say one thing about that. All right. So <laughs> don't believe the hype, whatever whatever it is. Look for yourself. And it's not very difficult. So if you really want to understand, you know, don't look at your news channel. Go on congress.gov, type in like women's health or whatever issue you want to know, and look at the actual legislation. Look and see what, you know, if you're a member of Congress or if your particular party supports a the type of, you know, bills that you actually support. Some people are single issue voters and that single issue is is so important to them that, you know, if that member supports or doesn't support that issue, that's enough. But realize that even as, as a single issue voter, it has consequences, it has real consequences. And your legislator may not support everything else that you need they may not support PCOS they and the policies that they're creating can have real damage so don't again don't listen to whatever your news station is mm-hmm. go on congress.gov and look to see whether they... Act. And again, a lot of these bills, some of them are complex, but a lot of them are fairly simple. You're just like, that's crazy. Why are they on that? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why, why didn't they support that? And I'll also just say this, we also support another organization and their their advocacy day, and they had a, a member of Congress, their, their staffer was there. And they said, you know, just because we don't sign on to a bill doesn't mean we don't support it. And I was just <laughs> thinking to myself, like, what does it mean? I, I, You're right. <laughs> What does like what does it mean if they're and you know, so th- there will be some times where you'll have a, a, a member of Congress or a staffer that'll say something like, Well, you know, if it comes to the floor for a vote, then we'll support it, which is, you know, they're kind of blowing you off at, at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, unless they're the, the head of a committee or something like that. And they they don't sign on to, to bills until the last minute because they don't want to be seen to unduly influence the rest of the 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 folks. But again. You need to show up, tell your story, do your do your due diligence if you really want to understand, you know, who you should be voting for, who you shouldn't vote for. I think just all around, you will feel incredibly empowered mm-hmm. to learn more about the legislative process and how you can make a difference. But just telling your story.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. So, if people do want to participate, how do they sign up? Is there a deadline for signing up?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I would say you want to sign up by February 21st. That would give us okay. enough time to to book your meetings. But don't wait to the last minute. The earlier okay. <laughs> you can sign up, the better. <laughs> Members of Congress, you know, they're super busy. And the earlier that you sign up, the earlier we can start to book your meetings. So sign up today. That That would be the simple answer. Sign up today. And there is a small $25 administration fee or registration fee that does help us with the cost of things like scheduling these hundreds of meetings and the technology costs. But also if anybody, you know, if it's cost prohibitive, we want you there. We want you telling your story. You matter, your story matters, your lived experience matters. So please come to PCOS Advocacy Day. You can find out more just PCOSchallenge.org forward slash advocacy. And but definitely join us, make a difference. You'll you know, you'll love the experience and the empowerment that you'll feel afterwards.
0: We will put the link for that in the show notes too, for anybody who is interested. Well, William, this has been an amazing conversation. Is there anything else you feel like we didn't touch on or anything else that you want people to know about PCOS Challenge?
1: Well, again, stay tuned. Watch us closely on our social and the website. We are going to be holding the patient focused drug development meeting. Again, this is going to be one of the biggest things in PCOS in, you know, ever. And not not putting too much on it, but, but ever. So incredible opportunity to share your story. We are going to put out some surveys and things like that in advance. So we want to hear, you know, have your hear your, your lived experience around that. I do also want to say there are two other things I want to tell people about. And that okay. is the 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 registry we do currently have two studies that we're recruiting for right now these are patient powered studies and one of them is the is an economic burden studies where we're looking at the intangible and indirect costs of pcos indirect meaning the work productivity cost and then the other is looking at the intangible the quality of life impact of pcos it's very, very important that people will participate in these. They directly impact, again, things like our advocacy, and just so people have a, a more complete understanding of, of PCOS and the economic burden. So this is part of a larger set of economic burden studies that we've been working on. One of the others was the Mental Health Economic Burden Study, which will soon be published, but some of the preliminary data uh, released, which added like $4 billion to the economic burden of PCOS, looking at anxiety, oh depression, and, and eating disorders. So again, wow. it's really important that you share your story. The other study that we're recruiting for and we're working with researchers out of Penn Medicine is this uh, looking at the counseling experiences around pregnancy and maternal health relative to PCOS. So please do, you can go to PCOSchallenge.org and learn more about those studies. Also, make sure we share the links in, for the show as well. But those are two really, really important things. So just broadly speaking, the takeaway here for everyone is we need you involved. We need you to be an active participant in advocacy and research. You are the key to advancing efforts toward a cure and closing gaps in PCOS. So please make sure you're participating in the research studies that that we share. Please make sure that your voice is heard in those research studies and in advocacy. It's absolutely critical to making a difference, and you'll, you'll get to see how much your voice matters in changing the trajectory of care, your own care, as well as millions of other people who are impacted by the disorder.
0: Thank you so much, William. We're going to share all of that in the show notes. Everyone listening, when you finish this episode, go to PCOS Challenges website, check all of that out, participate in everything they have to offer. William, thank you so much for being here. This has been so informative. How can people get in touch with you or stay connected with you?
1: Sure. Well, they can visit our website, which of course is PCOSchallenge.org. The new website soon will be launching also, which will be PCOS.org. So stay tuned for that. And Ooh. then also, so that's a little, little you get the, <laughs> you get the breaking news always here, Sam. So the other thing is they can follow us on social at pcoschallenge. Challenge.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All of that will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, William. I hope you have an amazing day.
1: Thank you, Sam. Look forward to being back too. So thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you can catch new episodes. I'd also be so grateful if you left a review and rating for the pod as well. See you next Wednesday.